Hello, and welcome to A Health Podacy. I'm your host, Alan Weil. Vaccines exist for more than a dozen conditions that are responsible for the loss of millions of lives around the world. While vaccination is routine and fairly widespread in higher-income countries, lower- and middle-income countries face significant barriers to achieving high rates of vaccination. Despite the existence of critical global funding mechanisms, sizable gaps exist between the resources available to provide vaccines and what's needed to achieve the full benefits of vaccination. What resources are needed to close the vaccination gap between high and low income countries? That is the topic of today's episode of A Health Policy. I am here with Celine Siudompon, a research associate health economist at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Ms. Siudompon and co-authors published a paper in the January 2023 issue of Health Affairs examining gaps in immunization funding among 94 low- and middle-income countries. They estimate a gap of $38.4 billion in the period 2011 to 2030. We'll discuss these findings and their implications in today's episode. Ms. Siudompon, welcome to the program. Hi, Ellen. Thank you for having me. This is a really important topic and one that maybe many of our listeners haven't uh, paid a lot of attention to. So I'm I'm, going to start pretty far back with you, if you don't mind. Let's just, if I could, if uh, let's just start with you explaining a little bit about why vaccine coverage is so important in low and middle income countries in particular. What what problem uh, are vaccines able to solve? Okay, so um, first of all, vaccine is one of the most effective healthcare intervention um, existing as we have seen in the past with, you know, chlora and measles outbreak, for example, and specifically low and middle income countries because these countries have such high rates of um, infectious diseases, meaning that the cost of illness among these countries are high. That would include, you know, direct medical costs and other intangible costs like loss of productivity for parents taking their children to see the hospital and have to take off their work, etc. And these costs are higher than the vaccine implementation cost itself. And so therefore, if we implement, that would be a cost saving in the long run for health system. And another benefit is uh, it would benefit the community as a whole through herd immunity. So if people are vaccinated, then it's harder for disease to spread to those people who cannot um, be vaccinated uh, if they're ill or have weakened immune system. So that's like the general idea of why vaccine coverage is important, especially among low and middle income countries. So this is a critical health intervention, both for people's health. And as you note, it has significant economic benefits as well, which makes it a a positive investment in these countries. Um, Those two benefits have led to the creation of a number of global enterprises and efforts to increase rates of of vaccination. Um, This is a very complex uh, environment, and I'm not going to ask you to explain all of it. But since your study focuses on the funding gap, we kind of need to start with the question of what funding is out there and kind of how it works. Can, can you say a little bit about that? 
Yes. So um, among the low and middle income countries, um, the countries we focus on in the study, majority of the financing are coming from two main sources, one being Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, which is you know public and private global partnership um, with the goal of increasing access to vaccine among these low and middle income countries. And the second main sources is uh, from the country's government expenditure itself. Um, in our study, the entire period of 2011 to 2030, Gavi financing was approximately like 45.2% of the total financing and government financing is 44.6%, which combines is already almost 90% of the total financing. And the other sources are um, development assistance for health. That's not including Gavi, of course. Um, that's like 4.4%. And then we have out-of-pocket expenditure at 4.1%. And last is the prepaid private spending um, which is like the expenditure paid to voluntary health insurance, for example, um, and that is 1.6%. And the way Gavi funding work is that not all low and middle income countries are eligible for, for Gavi support. Um, uh, only those countries that have the country's gross national income or the GNI per capita below a specific threshold. So for example, in this year, 2023, the eligible threshold is the GNI per capita below 1730 US dollars. So for Gabi, um, support uh, can change over time as the GNI per capita increases. So the government uh, of Gabi's eligible countries are actually expected to provide a fraction of the financing as well. So we would call that a co-financing um, as the GNI per capita increases then the government uh, co-financing level would also increase as well until they gradually um, and become fully self-financing and no longer receive the support from, from Gavi. By then, the government financing itself would, would come into play and increase. So the idea here is you have global assistance for the countries with the greatest need, and it tapers off as the country's ability to pay increases. But ability to pay doesn't necessarily mean willingness to pay. So the Gavi formula is based on per capita income, but then you have to convince the country as it moves, if you will, off the Gavi uh, highest levels of support to come in and say, okay, you know, we have more income as a country. We need to put more into these efforts. I, I want to go into sort of how the gap all works and what it'll take to close it. But I do want to move ahead to the question of, so what did you find? So you've, you've explained to me what the sources are for funding today, but you look over this period, 2011 to 2030, um, what is that gap so that we can start talking about what it would take to fill it? Overall, you know, with our studied 94 countries among 16 common routine vaccines over this period, 2011 to 2030, our results highlight the large funding gap. And the majority of the funding gap is actually associated with the immunization delivery, which is almost 80% of the total funding gap. And people often think about vaccine pricing itself, um, but not the cost of how to deliver the vaccine to the population especially um, those in the hard-to-reach area. And this portion requires the significant resources like personnel, storage, and transportation, for example. Um, so we can't just procure 
the vaccine and then give them out to the country and just call it a day. We should also invest it in their health system as well. Um, and if we invest in their health system, I know it's a significant portion of the money, um, like community health worker, for example, but then uh, this system can be operate for other things to share the burden across DC silos. So what you're telling us is not only is there a significant funding gap, but it's not primarily associated with procuring the vaccines. It's uh, associated with delivering them, getting them from uh, vials into people's uh, arms and uh, where they can actually do some good. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about what that gap means and what it might take to close it. We'll do that after we take a short break. And we're back. I'm speaking with Celine Sudampon about the funding gap for 16 vaccines across 94 low- and middle-income countries. Uh, before the break, we got this sort of blockbuster finding about the tens of billions of dollars it's going to take to make this happen. Uh, the gap is the difference between what it's going to cost to deliver the vaccines and how much is currently available. Uh, so I think in order to understand what uh, $38 plus billion means, it would be helpful to get a sense. How much does it cost? How much does your study project it would cost to deliver these vaccines over this period? And, and about how much do you estimate is currently available to cover those costs? So for the period of um, 2018 to 2030, we estimated that um, the total immunization program would cost approximately 77 0.7 billion US dollars and 36.9 billion of that total cost is allocated toward vaccine pricing, while um, 40.8 billion US dollars is allocated toward vaccine delivery costs. At the same time period, the total financing was estimated to be approximately 47.6 billion US dollars. This resulted in a total of 30 billion uh, US dollars funding gap. Um, specifically 7.8 billion toward vaccine costs and 22.3 billion toward a vaccine delivery funding gap. Okay, so I know that's a lot of numbers, but I want to try to make uh, sure that I understand them and have some sense uh, about what they imply. So out of, uh, in the 2018 to 30 period, your study cover goes back to 2011, but in the 18 to 30 period, we have funding secured, if you will, for a little more than, for, for significantly more than half, but the $30 billion remaining is a, it's a big share. That's, it's not just a large amount of money. It's a big share of the cost. And it also sounds like we, we come pretty close to covering the cost of acquiring the vaccines, but the biggest part of the shortfall has to do with delivering the vaccines. So, if those two, if I got both of those right, uh, I guess the question for me is, what does it look like in a country that's uh, trying to close this gap? Um, what are the opportunities? What are the prospects for obtaining or securing domestic government funding uh, to uh, meet the need that currently looks like it's unmet? 
So for the government, um, the government should utilize economic evaluation, um, like cost effectiveness of intervention or budget impact analysis, uh, along with other disease burden data existed to prioritize and what so-called essential package of services that is prioritizing for funding. And this package uh, can be expand over time as there are more resources available. Um, this is similar to what Thailand has done with their comprehensive benefit package. Um, this, along with increased government spending on health, um, Thailand has evidently shown that um, the prevalence in catastrophic health spending decrease, as well as the low level of unmet health needs, along with the higher level of uh, universal health coverage index. So another prospect is potentially um, have a pooled procurement for vaccine, which is a strategic initiative that you know aggregates orders volumes on behalf of participating countries. And this can significantly reduce uh, negotiated costs as well as adjust for timing for delivery and averted the stock out. Uh, those are really uh, interesting ideas. And uh, it makes me wonder, with the gap being dominated by the delivery side, whether uh, countries have as clear a return on investment understanding of the delivery uh, relative to procurement and whether they even know necessarily what investments to make to build the delivery infrastructure for vaccines. Procurement, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's buying something. Delivery is much more complex. And I wonder if the, the countries uh, feel like they're not sure where to uh, make the best investment in that. For vaccine delivery, there are um, two types of vaccine delivery. Um, actually, one being the routine vaccine delivery, which is usually done every fiscal year at healthcare facility, um, at fixed sites, outreach area, or um, like a mobile team. But then um, there's also another delivery, which is so-called um, campaign delivery, like a catch-up campaign to those who didn't receive initial routine delivery vaccines, or the outbreak response campaign for um, epi uh, epidemic management. And both delivery actually accounts for um, various uh, variables like personnel, which is cost for salary per diem or any travel allowances related to, to labor, um, cost of co-chain equipment. This is pretty essential as you have to maintain the vaccine at specific temperature. Um, there is also a vehicle for transporting um, the vaccines itself, uh, fuel costs, anything related to transportation mainly. And there's also capital and other recurrent costs that's associated with delivery. So you can see there are so many components toward vaccine delivery, um, which is why it required um, such a big portion of the financing. Um, and these costs are actually even higher in the hard to reach household like urban slums or remote rural area. And this work uh, predates the COVID-19 pandemic in terms of estimating costs. I know this is a really big question, but is there anything about the COVID-19 pandemic that uh, either changes your sense of what the results of your study are or that give you insights into what's needed to close this financing gap? We expected that COVID has disrupted um, on the vaccine delivery system. Uh, we're waiting to see the updated number on, on coverage and see how coverage rebounds on tertiary for targets. Um, 
but we definitely expect that this would require additional funding with COVID. Well, uh, Ms. Sinodomhon, thank you so much for the work that you've done for bringing uh, it to life and 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 showing us that we have a, a big challenge ahead, but there there really is a such a positive yield if we can figure out how to come up with these resources. Uh, and as you noted, a big part of coming up with the resources is building the economic case, and that's exactly what uh, your paper has done. So I appreciate your work in this area, and I thank you for being my guest today on A Health Policy. Thank you so much, Ellen. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll tell a friend about A Health Policy.